You are listening to the Pencil and Paper Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Cinema Salsa, your tasty condiment of film talk. I'm your host, Smokey Chipotle Stephen White, and with me is my co-host, Flaming Hot Philip Peck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be clever with these. It's the best I can come up with. <laughs> I thought we were Cheetos there for a minute. I never know where you're going with these and what, <laughs> who you're channeling. Today it was just trying to be that, that smooth, silky guy you see on TV. I don't know the guy's name. There's so many of them. No one in particular. Let's just put it that way. But hey, it's uh, Cinema Salsa. What are, we, what are we talking about today? You, you've been watching a movie, or you were telling me about a movie you were watching, so I'm anxious to hear the so bad it's good, <laughs> whatever it is, cinema disaster. I can't, even keep, I can't even keep a straight face. And just to say the name is so ridiculous. It's called The Velocipaster. Oh my God, you were the second person to mention this movie to me this week. Really? <laughs> yes. My daughter said something about it. She's like, have you watched this? I was like, no. She's like, you really should. It's terrible. And I was like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's, uh, it's so bad. It's not, even, it's not even accidentally bad. It's on purpose bad. And mm. I, I don't know. It's just very strange. I don't know who made it. I don't know what their deal is. Mm-hmm. I, was reading the, I was reading the New York Times, scrolling through like the movie uh, section. And there was a list like top or best five best action movies to watch right now or to stream right now, and it mm-hmm. was on there. And it sounded ludicrous, and it was one. It was one that was that was on Amazon that I could watch without paying. And yeah, I was like, all right, I'm not doing anything. Just watch this this morning and have something to talk about. It's so um, so low budget. There's a so the I guess the premise there's a pastor and his parents are killed in the opening scene. Um, mm-hmm. Their car is exploded, but they don't even have, they're not even in a car. Like they're just standing on the street and he walks out of the church and there they are and he's saying, waving to them. And then like a little title comes up and says like car, car explosion VFX or something. <laughs> and anyway, he goes to China to try to reconnect with his spirituality or something. And he finds a, like a raptor claw and he cuts himself on it. And then he starts turning into, he turns into a velocipaster. But it's like, you know, he 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 has like a dinosaur costume. You know, there's like no special effects. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) it's so bad. I don't know. Wow. Okay. It's so. I mean, it's very tongue in cheek, very knowingly bad. Hmm. And see, I don't really know which I prefer. Sometimes those that. Try that are just bad and they know they're bad, so they're just leaning into it, or those that are really bad, but they did their best to try and make the best movie, but it just fell short. But for whatever reason, it's still enjoyable for what it was. Right. I don't know. I was thinking about that. Respect them that way. I was thinking about that same thing. I was like, what is the purpose of this other than to just be knowingly silly? I mean, it's funny. It's fun, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But it's like it could have just been a, a skit, you know, like a ten, yeah. maybe maybe fifteen minute short at best. Like, why did this need to be a feature length film? <laughs> right. You know, some of some of the funniest stuff, and I'd never really thought about this, and maybe you've heard this uh, 
bit. Movies like Airplane and The Naked Gun, <clears throat> they have this... Granted, they're not technically in the same vein of, I guess, what they're trying to do with Velocipaster, but <clears throat> what I always found fascinating about them, or, or trying to understand why they were so funny, is because they were given the direction to play it straight. No matter what, no matter how ridiculous everything is being presented, you play it straight, and that just elevates how ridiculously funny it is. Right. Now, do they do that in Velocipaster? Do they play it absolutely straight? Absolutely. And just, you know, like, okay. well... Uh, I think the main the main characters are definitely playing it straight. Some of the villains, I think, are hamming it up a, a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, they go in like, they do this Austin Powers, you know, when like the Dr. Evil and his henchmen laugh for an uncomfortably long time. They yeah. do that like two times in the movie. And mm. that that's, I don't know why they did that. Once, maybe, but sure. of course, I mean, that joke's already been done. I don't know where you're going like what you're adding to the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to the conversation with that, but the the mains all play it deadly seriously. All right, I'm I may have to give this a round at some point. I just I would recommend just putting it on and, and doing something multitasking a bit. I got a little bit bored and had to just dual screen it and read some articles while I was kind of half watching it in the middle in the yeah. middle section and then tune back in for the last third. I guess uh, I've I've got some stuff I could do while I'm. <laughs> Not watching a movie. <laughs> yeah, it starts out strong, I believe, and then yeah, it just kind of t- it, it definitely drags in the middle because there's no reason it needs to be. It's very short. I mean, it's thankfully only about a hundred minutes long. But even Thank that, God. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, if it's a uh, short, because that's that's another thing too. If you just said it's pushing two hours, uh, no, no. we're in Zack Snyder territory. Just, yeah, <laughs> it's like, did it really need to be this long? Okay, well, perhaps I'll give it a watch at some point if I've got nothing better to do. <laughs> yeah, watch it, you know, play some video games and have that on or something, or I don't know, right, you, okay. while you're answering emails. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a, a fun time, I guess. <laughs> I haven't really watched anything this week that I could think of, like nothing new. I've been watching a lot of TV, I guess. I wouldn't say like your normal streaming TV. Um I tried out a new show, which it's kind of been on my radar, but I was just, I I guess I was expecting it to be a ripoff, which is Creep Show on Shudder. You know, I was afraid that it would immediately just channel Tales from the Crypt vibes, because honestly, I mean, that's that's what it was. I mean, it was a homage to, or the original films anyway, were homages to Tales from the Crypt and the Vault of Horror and stuff like that. So understanding the movies from that perspective, I get it. But this being a show, essentially doing what Tales from the Crypt did, I didn't know if they were going to lean into something like that. But, I mean, they they put their own spin on it. I only really watched one episode. And they didn't do anything... Uh, you know how Tales from the Crypt kind of was tongue-in-cheek? You know, they were a little campy yeah. and a little silly, but also they're horrific. They kind of leaned more into serious territory with their stories, or at least just the one that I watched. And the first one didn't—they actually had two stories, unlike Tales from the Crypt, which would be one. But they had two stories that they did were probably about 20 minutes apiece, I'd say, give or take, because I think the episode overall was about 40 minutes. And the second one is the one that really 
got my attention because it was a very interesting concept. And I could, I guess I could see why this wouldn't work as a feature length film. Like the concept, if you pitched it as a feature length horror film, you'd have to eventually get to a point where, okay, well, how does this blow up? But as a 20 minute little uh, experiment, it was, it was really fascinating. It was about a little girl who had a, a dollhouse and she had it set up a very particular way and she walked away from her dollhouse. She comes back later on that day and she noticed that the, the characters have, have moved and she just starts kind of like, who moved you? Who moved you? And just starts getting real curious about it. And eventually this little severed zombie head just shows up inside the house and she's like, where did you come from? What's going on here? And then she, you know, walk away, go to bed. Doll-sized? Come back or, the next, or, yeah, they're all doll-sized. And <clears throat> every time she comes back, it's like you see the, the characters in the house are being terrorized. But it's it just really depends on what their um, uh, reactions are. Like you could see the head off in one room and then the, the other dolls are just like, creeping around there was another shot where they're like in shock or something like that and the head's nearby so it's like all this horror is happening in this house but the girl's only getting glimpses and so she decides she's like i'm gonna i'm gonna have someone investigate this so she goes and buys a doll a policeman doll and puts in the house and then she comes back to it later and now you see the house or the cops in the house like he's investigating so she's trying to figure this out but she comes back again and then the cop is dead (laughs) And it's just like this odd, bizarre horror tale being told within this dollhouse, but we're not getting all the details. We're just seeing snippets, just like she is. And eventually, she, you know, by the end of it, she's just like, you know what? I don't want this house anymore. It's got to (laughs) go because she knows there's something bad there. And it's like, I'm good. So I don't really see how that would work as a feature link, but it was a very fascinating uh, experiment in this in this uh, format. So yeah, that sounds like a really really fun idea and something that yeah. you don't need to to belabor or drag out into a feature link. But I could see like if they wanted to take that concept and make it into a film, maybe actually going into the dollhouse. Like if the girl gets sucked into it, and you could have this whole little dollhouse world. But I don't know that that you know makes it any better. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was just, it was a really interesting take. And just seeing the kind of innovation that went into a story like that, it gets me intrigued to want to go see what else they're going to be doing with this kind of anthology. Because that was, that was very, um, very unique. The very, the, the first one, now that I'm actually remembering it, if you remember the, the original Creep Show movie, um, there was a story featuring Stephen King. Uh, the character's name, I think, was Jordy Varel, and it was just he saw a meteor, touched it, and started getting, you know, <laughs> greens grow all over him until it consumed him. That story reminded me of that, and I almost feel like it was on purpose. Like, it didn't hit the, follow the same beats, per se, but there were just little moments in there. Like, one in particular where a guy kind of reached into his mouth like he was checking for something and then he reached out and looked at his fingers and it was in the same almost identical to the way Stephen King did it so I I feel like that was kind of a homage to that story but taking in a new direction which I, I kind of found fascinating but again not as wholly original as the dollhouse idea which I liked a little bit more so 
overall, I'm I'm intrigued to to check out a few more because that was a. Um, it defied my expectations of what I thought the the show would be, and I mean it's it's already gotten renewed I think for a third season so I mean it's apparently doing something right, you know that they're not willing to cancel it. Um, those anthology shows are are great. <clears throat> they just kind of can tell those offbeat stories and they don't need to be really long and they just kind of hook you and and they're over before they overstay their welcome. You know maybe they don't have mm-hmm. the legs to go into feature-length territory, but they don't need to. It's like the sh- a short story versus a novel. and Yeah. And I think I think that's what a lot of horror uh, writers who, who want to make these long-form uh, feature-length films need to kind of realize sometimes maybe your idea just doesn't have the capacity to be a feature-length. It would be so much better in these, you know, more condensed formats because then you're not stretching out this idea saying well i've got a pad runtime here and it's like nah well you really don't because if you can condense it into a solid 20 30 minute tale do that you know i'm sure they were they're looking for stories to to put into this anthology series so why not if you can't do it take it there make it work uh what else have i watched okay this one's fascinating because i don't know if you are or not um do you like Star Trek? Um, I do. I'm not a huge fan. Like, like I, I'm not a fanboy, but I, I've watched. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like some of it, but I don't. Yeah. I'm not like a. I don't comprehensively watch everything Star Trek. Sure. I mean, I'm I'm same way. I mean, I've watched. Um, I've watched all the movies. Uh, watched a few episodes of shows here and there, but nothing like I'm not dedicated to anything. I'd say the most I've ever watched of a series of Star Trek would have been the Picard series they did on uh, Paramount Plus, and I watched that first season of that. Oh, I was going to uh, say the Next Generation <laughs> with the original yeah. Picard series, and and I have that's yeah, the only I've one that I've ever a, really watched. Hmm. And I've watched uh, quite a few episodes of that, so I'm. I'd say if there was a Star Trek uh, era that I was most familiar with, it would have been the Next Generation. Like I know a lot of that story, the story beats there, and everything like that. Um, but there's a show on Paramount Plus that I don't know how it's perceived by Trek fans, but uh, it's called Star Trek Lower Decks. It's an animated series comedy. Uh, I love it. Like, as a person who's not into Star Trek, uh, I can still get into it and understand most of the the kind of little in-jokes. I think there are a lot of deep cuts for, like, the real, real Trek fans because they'll throw out a reference here. And I'm like, I'm sure that's a reference to something, and I just don't know what it is. Like, they've mentioned the name Gary Mitchell twice, and I was like, I don't know who Gary Mitchell is. So I had to look it up, and I was like, oh, okay, well, I got it. It makes sense now. Uh, So... If I was a hardcore Trek fan, which I've heard they don't care for this, this could be a I could be mishearing some of the things, but I've heard that there's been criticism from the real Trek fans. As a person not being a Trek fan, I don't see how you couldn't love this because I feel like they are despite being comedic about everything Star Trek, they hold on to the lore like it's the Bible. You know, it's like, no, we're we're going to not mock everything. We're going to, you know, rib a little here and there about stuff that we maybe find ridiculous or has been pointed out to be a little ridiculous. But they they maintain true to what the spirit of the series is while just, you know, 
having a having a laugh here and there. So I've I've had a lot of fun with it, and even seeing like uh, like Captain Riker showed up uh, at the end of season one, which I thought was kind of neat. So they had Jonathan Frakes, and uh, I can never remember her name. The one that played uh, his wife or eventual wife, Troy. Deanna Troy, I think is her character name. Anyway, she's in there too, and they're both doing their voices. And it was just, that's a nice little nod to even less, those of us who know like the characters in the movies and stuff like that, but aren't really deep in the lore. It's like, oh yeah, I know that guy. That's cool. So it's a fun time if you're looking for, uh, even if you're not into Star Trek, if you just like a good uh, animated comedy that's, I'd say TV 14 level, you know, where they kind of push boundaries like, uh, Family Guy, or, yeah. or even this, I guess to a lesser degree, The Simpsons, but it's it's kind of in that vein. So I, I like it a lot, and I would recommend it to anybody who wants a good laugh. But movie wise, no, there's there's really nothing I haven't uh, watched anything. There is one that I do want to check out at some point, and I think this was a something that they showed at Sundance, <clears throat> and I think it's on Apple TV Plus right now. To watch is called Coda. Have you seen previews to that? No, I don't think so. Uh, from what I gathered, it's about a girl who it, Coda stands apparently for child of deaf adults, which I didn't know. So it's about her being the only member of her house that can hear, and she's trying to help her parents, uh, you know, make their living, get along in life, being deaf uh, persons. And she kind of has this desire to sing and she finds someone who, who believes that she can, you know, make a, a living at singing and, and kind of be something big. But now she has to make a choice. Does she pursue this dream or does she stay with her family? So <clears throat> what do you do in that scenario, especially when your parents need you, but you need to kind of grow up and live your own life? And so it's it seems like a very interesting tale that I'd I'd like to check out and I've heard a few good things about it so I think it'd be a good watch. It's on my radar. Yeah, the only movies aside from uh, the Velocipaster that I watched in the past week are Stoker. Um, and that's is that about Bram Stoker or like a history? It's not. Um, it's not. It's, it has nothing it's, to do with vampires, although it it's a little bit ambiguous i think at first mm, mm-hmm. and i don't know that the name wasn't chosen for allusions to dracula but it turns out to not be about that uh it's directed by park chambuk i think it's his only as far as i'm aware his only english language or kind of western centered movie it's uh mm. stars uh, mia wasikowska and nicole yeah. kidman and matthew good Dermot Mulroney is in it briefly. It was kind of like it flew under the radar a little bit. It came out in 2013. It's not like an earth-shattering movie, but it's it's a good movie, and it's kind of like a more of like a literary. A lot of his movies are kind of well. I don't know about a lot of them. Some of them are more literary and kind of uh, highbrow <laughs> versus yeah. others that are extremely lowbrow. Yeah, he kind of straddles both of those lines, I guess, really well, or both of those extremes. Yeah. So it's kind of like a tasteful, but also kind of. Uh, just a just a simple story told well. The twist, I think, is worth it because you don't know exactly. Um, the main character is very ambiguous, and you start getting hints as to her true nature halfway through, and then 
I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> just I don't want to give it away, you know, but Right, right. No, it's fine. Yeah, I guess the tagline is called Innocence Ends. <clears throat> and it's intriguing enough. I don't know. I liked it. And other than that, Stoker, the only other movie that I watched this past week was not the Gardens, Guardians of the Galaxy, but I um, always get it confused with that. But it's uh, The Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. And your thoughts? Um, not, a, not a huge fan. It was okay. It was okay. It was, I guess it was entertaining, but it didn't really do a whole lot for me. Okay. I, uh, There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> and I've noticed it's not really raking in a lot of the box office either, which I've heard reasons. Yeah, you know, we can, that there could we be. can talk about those reasons here in this episode. There's a... It's hard to it's hard to know because things are changing every day in this country and well around the world I suppose as well with regards to mm-hmm. whether or not people want to go to the movies. So, so I mean, with that, I mean, we can kind of uh, roll into our headline what we want to talk about, which would be uh, on a broad sense film lawsuits because I think we'll kind of touch on a few here and there, but mainly what we're kind of focused on is. Um, Right now, the Black Widow lawsuit, uh, which is going on, where Scarlett Johansson, if you are unaware, has filed a lawsuit against Disney for essentially breach of contract. And to my understanding, and if you know a detail that I don't, please feel free to correct me on that, because I've been trying to keep up with it, and I'm I'm pretty sure I've got uh, an understanding of what's going on. So uh, in her contract for the film... She was, uh, I guess, uh, what's the term I'm looking for here? She was, uh, it was in her contract she would get a percentage of the net profits from theatrical run, which meant that any profits made through streaming services would not be covered under this contract. So when Disney decided to create this uh, multi-format one, you know, theaters plus uh, premium access on Disney Plus. Any profit that they lost from theater because everything's going to Disney Plus, that's money out of her pocket. And obviously, that kind of seems wrong if that was part of your plan. So it still feels like it should be within that. So I feel like I understand where she's coming from on this lawsuit. Um, because it was never renegotiated. That's what she claims. I don't think they've claimed anything to the contrary to say, oh, yeah, we were or weren't trying to renegotiate. So it never came up. And you know it should have because this movie was meant to come out sometime last year. So it's not like this wouldn't have come up within a year's time that they could have talked about this. So that's what it really boils down to. And I know a lot of... uh, Trolls, and I'm going to say that they're trolls, are just saying that she's being greedy or, or or what does she need all the money for? It's not about that. If you're promised something in a contract that you're going to get X amount of dollars if this does well here, and then someone takes it over here and says, well, I'm also going to make money on the side here, but you can't have that. That feels like a huge breach of contract because that was not the initial goal. You had one plan in mind. That's what you said. And then last minute you change it. So what are your thoughts on it? Because I I personally feel like she's in the right here. Yeah, I believe that she's in the right as well. There's a little bit of ambiguity or lack of clarity in 
whether or not the she like you mentioned she was banking on getting the a percentage of the of the box office the ticket sales which is common especially mm-hmm. for like superhero and marvel movies um for the actors to get that you know in addition to whatever they get paid for salary you know up front for making the movie they get that stuff on the back end but there was mm-hmm. something some sort of ambiguity that it seemed like from her uh lawyers what their her lawyers have put out there that some of this was not, was like a verbal agreement so that that mm-hmm. kind of and I could be wrong but they they seem to be saying that there was a verbal agreement about that or something in in the nature of the of her understanding of the agreement was verbal I don't know how much they have a leg to stand on if there's a verbal agreement versus a written agreement or a contract that was signed I mean, of mm. course, there was a contract signed, but it seems like there was a, a, a point in here that they're arguing was verbal. Anyway, I do agree that if there was a contract or there was an agreement and the understanding was that this movie was going to play in theaters only, when they si- when she signed the contract or signed on to the movie, that was what the understanding was. This was going to theaters. And they're saying... That she's lost out on, and I don't know where they're coming up with this number. Maybe it's based on what Disney has said it's made on from streaming plus or from Disney plus streaming the movie. They're saying she's lost out on fifty million dollars <laughs> so wow. far, um, hmm. which is pretty, which is pretty big. And you know, she got paid twenty million to make the movie, so it's not like she's hurting or anything like that. But like you said, it's a contract, and it's a, it's a, it's a breach of contract, and a lack of willingness to renegotiate and like you said her lawyers have been saying that they tried to renegotiate they reached out to disney and said because when it became clear that this was going to happen even though hmm. nobody at disney reached out to her or really anybody to say that this is what they were going to do so they they just ignored um her entreaties to renegotiate and this i don't necessarily think it's about the money of course it could be i don't know but it's just about the principle in essence yeah. where you want to set a precedent for not only her, but for everybody to have to be able to figure out how they're going to reap the benefits when movies are no longer. I guess they're just trying to figure out like what what's going to happen now because we can't bank on the box office, the ticket sales, like we used to be able to. So how are we going to recoup what we've lost? Yeah. And especially right now with everything, I know that studios are probably assuming everything was going to go back to normal and everything in the country around the world seems to be regressing. So it does become a big talking point, like where do we go from here? Because we thought we were going to go back to theaters and now all these studios are starting to see, well, maybe that's not the case. So they're trying to protect their interest. I get that. But they also have to, in doing this uh, change, trying to uh, recoup whatever benefits they can to any losses they might get from not getting in the theaters, they still should honor any agreements prior to their actors. Because if you're not going to put it in theaters, they have, I mean, it's it's no different as far as I'm concerned. Now, if that wasn't in the initial, say, Two years ago, before all this mess started to happen, how does that contract look, I guess? So are they just getting 
the the back end from ticket sales or is there like another clause or stipulation that they would get anything from streaming or or uh blu-ray sales anything like that i mean i think i've not heard of those those deals yeah. so i don't know i think um when they signed the contract there wasn't there wasn't even there wasn't even a disney plus so mm-hmm. the fact that they wouldn't renegotiate after the creation of Disney Plus and after the it became apparent that this whole same day streaming versus box office thing became the norm during the pandemic they never they never went to back to renegotiate and the other sticking point for her i believe and and really her agents and and agents and talent throughout hollywood is that they used this movie to to drive subscriptions to Disney Plus. Not only so they the contract that they signed initially several years ago before the making of this movie was as a theatrical movie. I don't know that anybody's faulting Disney for releasing it on streaming, but to not go back and and renegotiate after that that whole business model became a thing and then also to drive your own subscriptions to your platform and rake in all of that profit to your company and not share it with the people who made the movie. I think that's also what is driving this, this lawsuit because nobody's going to subscribe to Disney plus without black. Well, not, you know, without the movies, right. Without the people who made the movies, without the actors and the actresses and the directors and all that stuff. So it's like you're cutting them out and keeping all of the profit for yourself and also Mm. kneecapping the profitability at the box office and for good reason i mean it like you said the pandemic is getting is getting worse as we make this podcast and i believe that regardless of whether the movie had been released on disney plus at the same time as it went to theaters it probably would not have been as successful as it otherwise would have been two years ago right so she's not going to make as much money even if it didn't release on disney plus this year that she would have made two years ago because just no, not that many people want to go out to the movies right now. Right. Same thing with probably The Suicide Squad. Hmm. Yeah, of course it lost out at the box office because of HBO Max, but again, it probably would have not done that well regardless just because of the state of affairs in regarding the pandemic. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really curious, not that we have any way of knowing, but I am curious to know how these things would have performed if the if we were in a position to know whether or not the pandemic would have been like everything was safe everybody you know you could go out to the theater no worries no foul so like would it have equaled the same amount say disney plus profits plus theater profits it would that encompass what it actually would have made or would there still be like a disconnect? I don't know. Or even even the amount that it just made in theaters, would that have been exactly what it would have made had it not gone to streaming? Yeah. Because, like you said, people with this option kind of don't want to go. I mean, Suicide Squad, I, sure, I would have loved to have seen it in theaters, but you told me I could come right home and watch it on HBO Max. No problem. I've, I'm already paying for that. I'm going to do that. You know, it's just you're giving me that option. Why wouldn't I take it? I'm not going to risk myself for 
a film. As much as I want to go back to theater, I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. And I am curious because I haven't heard any follow-up to this. Like if there would be any other impending lawsuits, one name that popped up immediately, I think, was Emma Stone because Cruella went to Disney+. Plus. I don't. Did it even go to theaters? Yeah, it did. Did it? So they did the day and date and... Nothing came of that, or at least nothing at the time. So maybe she didn't feel like she had a leg to stand on, or maybe it, I don't know if she, she may, I would imagine she would have had something like that in her contract, but maybe she didn't. I don't know. But I'm not sure. I'm, was, not, I'm not familiar with when that movie was made. That might have even come about during the pandemic, or parts of that production might have overlapped with the pandemic and with Disney Plus, and there probably was maybe the understanding from the get go that there would be this formula for this movie, but I, I don't know for sure. Yeah. So I, I don't know if she's going to file a similar lawsuit. Uh, I think even on the same token, they mentioned Jungle Cruise and whether The Rock, I guess only he would have reason to sue, but I feel like anybody in that movie, had, if they had that in their contract, would have, <laughs> you know, a, a suit on their hand. But he's he's claiming he's okay with it. So he may have had a deal and we just don't know it. Yeah. Well, there's another there's another uh, example to talk about with Wonder Woman 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, Warner Brothers actually went to Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot and is it Gadot? How do you pronounce her last name? I think it's Gadot, Gadot. but I could be wrong. And and negotiated with them, saying, "Hey, this is we're, we're going to do this day and date thing now with every movie, um, and we don't want to burn you." And they kind of did it in secret, and it didn't come out during or at the release of the movie, but it's come out subsequently. Or maybe it did mm. come out, but... So they got paid like $10 million in addition to their original salary uh, because mm-hmm. it was going to go to uh, HBO Max. But then that was, they were the only two that Warner Brothers negotiated with. And then they just right. unilaterally announced that they were going to release all their movies on HBO Max throughout the, the, the whole year. So it's interesting that they did that for them and then nobody else. And nobody else has... I think there was a there was an outcry um, from actors and from agents and probably threats of lawsuits, but I don't think that anybody has has sued Warner Brothers. But I think Scarlett Johansson is so far the only one who's sued for breach of contract. Hmm. Now I do know the legendary uh, they had beef with Warner Brothers over that. Like they were the at least the only. Um, production company that came out and was like, look, this is bull. Mm-hmm. So what what are we going to do here? Almost to the point where we weren't sure if the movies that they were actually heavily involved in were actually going to release, you know, on the HBO Max platform. So that was like, I know Godzilla vs. Kong was the big one because that was the one they were pushing for. And I think later on in the year, Dune was the other one. Yeah. And to my knowledge, the the deal they cut, because I think that was their biggest issue from what I've heard. And I don't have anything like concrete to back this up, but Dune was supposed to be like this big sweeping epic, which would lead into, I guess, more continuations of that story. Cause I don't know how many, I don't know how long this book is. I don't know anything about Dune. I'm aware of it, <laughs> but I've never dug into it. So I was I'm under the assumption they have planned multiple movies to tell the entire story of Dune. And they were afraid that if this just went to HBO Max, there's a, a mindset people will have. 
so that say it released on HBO Max and then two years later everything's fine and then they're like okay well now we're going to release Dune 2 but it's only in theaters people have this preconceived notion of well if you released it here why can't you just do it here now because that's what you did last time and I, I don't really feel like moviegoers would be that way but I could be wrong I mean, from where we're sitting, we're a little bit more in the know about how these things work because we're, I mean, we, we like digging into, you know, film production news and things like that. Whereas the, the more layman viewer, they they might not know what's going on. They might not understand the inner working. So I can get where that could be a little, you know, put you to hesitate to do so. So I guess I get where Legendary is coming from. But it was kind of low down for Warner Brothers just to be like, nope. All these movies, here we go. And no one got anything for it because I get it. You know, you're banking on that theater money too and you're not going to get anything for this now? No cuts? One of the articles I was reading was talking about how Warner Brothers has, has been regarded for a long time as a great place uh, to for talent and very generous and, I don't know, willing to share profits and all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of like a um, a black eye on their... In their, on their name because of this kind of unilateral move. But on the other hand, too, you had, can understand where nobody makes any money if the movies just sit on shelves. I'm kind of paraphrasing directly from an article. <laughs> so the movies need to be released in order for them to make money. Hmm. And nobody gets... I mean, I guess people got paid on upfront to make the movie, but there's nothing really... Nobody can profit from it on the back... on the if it's not released, essentially. So if this is the mm -hmm. thing that makes sense, the only way for things to get shown uh, and to get out there, then I understand that from Warner Brothers' perspective. And it remains to be seen going forward how they're going to pay it forward to everybody who maybe got burned by lack of theatrical release or, or the fact that the movie didn't do as well in theaters because it was simultaneously streaming. But like you referenced before, it's impossible to know how well these movies would have done in a non-pandemic environment. We just can't know. We can't mm. know. There's also the unknown what's going to happen in the future because Warner Brothers has stated that this is their plan just for 2021 and in 2022 they're going to go back they're going to go back to a theatrical release model where it's like a whatever 90-day window or probably shorter nowadays, but mm -hmm. and then go on from there, but there's a lot of I guess doubt that you know, they're going to do that. Why, you know, like they've already kind of let the genie out of the bottle. And I have heard, and I think it was over the, this past week that Warner brothers and I want to say it was Regal or AMC theaters, uh, cut a deal for a 45 day exhibition deal. Kind of what Paramount did. I think, uh, I think they cut a similar deal to where their movies would come out 45 days. And then after that, they would immediately go to Paramount plus and that, I mean, I don't really feel like that's a bad deal, per se. Um, it does, in an, in a way, kind of put people, like me personally, A Quiet Place Part 2 was one of those movies I, I wanted to go see in theaters, but I just I wasn't quite comfortable yet because it was early in the year. And when I heard about the 45-day deal, and it was a blink of an eye and it was right there. So... I just, I mean, that was the reason I got Paramount Plus. It was just to, to view that movie. And 
it's it's effective what they do, you know. If they can reel you in with one, they're going to kind of keep you around for a little bit. Because even certain platforms that I pay for, I might not watch all that often. But then when I think about, well, do I really watch this? Do I want to cancel it? And then you remember the one thing that you do enjoy watching on that platform. Like, yeah, well, all right, I guess I'll hang on to it for a little longer because it's not hurting anything. So why not? And then you just continue the cycle of paying for it. So it, this this is going to be an interesting uh, thing to watch going forward because it's I, I don't think this is going to go away. This model is going to uh, evolve from here, and I think we're going to see a lot more of it, which I hate and like at the same time. <laughs> you know, well, I think the yeah it'll be interesting when when people are actually comfortable and to go back to the theaters if the forty five day window will be enough of a window for the theaters to succeed. Or like you said, mm -hmm. if people were just going to wait it out until it comes to streaming on the thing that they're already paying for that they might subscribe to just to watch a, a certain movie. Now, this was an observation that I made, and you tell me if you feel like this is just a weird coincidence or there could be something more to it. <clears throat> so with the exception of Jungle Cruise, I was trying to go through... All the movies that Disney put through on their streaming platform, uh, whether it's Premiere Access or they just said, no, we're just going to drop it here and then you can watch it. Now, the Premiere Access movies, from what I can remember, they all seem to be the live action movies, yeah. uh, maybe except for one. Yeah, there was one animated that I can't yeah. think of the name of. I think it was Ryan yep. the Last Dragon. I knew it was but, Dragon something. That, that'll that actually kind of come into play here. <laughs> and then the other um, animated movies, I think, were Pixar films, and they just dropped them. Soul and uh, Luca, I think it was. And I think even Onward at some point uh, also got... That was like early, early on in 2020 when all the theaters started to shut down. But um, what I found interesting when I look back on all these movies, coincidentally... All the leads were women. <laughs> you know, Mulan, Ryan the Last Dragon, Cruella, Black Widow. D do you think that's a, a coincidence or a pattern? I don't know. Are they say are, Again, so? Are they are there male led movies that they have held on to in hopes of releasing in theaters or? Are, well, like I said, the the exception would be Jungle Cruise. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could argue, well, Emily Blunt's also leading that. Yeah, but The Rock. Yeah. So, I, you know, that would be the only exception to the whole thing. However, if we go a step farther, um, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, which is the next Marvel movie, they're, they're claiming absolutely 100% theaters only. The next one after that is The Eternals, which is a group team thing also the same thing I, th I don't i think sean sean chi i was reading that there were two two movies that one and what's the new movie with ryan reynolds in it free guy okay so those two uh, so i know free guy was part of was developed by 20th century fox prior mm -hmm. to disney buying out uh fox so there was already a contract and agreement in place between um 20th century fox and warner brothers so that movie has to go to theaters, and then when it actually streams, it's actually going to go to HBO before it goes to Disney. <laughs> and then yeah. I think there was also 
the same, some similar um, deal or when that Shanxi, I guess, was in development and whoever was funding and producing the the different parties was prior to Disney taking over. So I think that's another mm. reason why that one also has to go to theaters. Okay. So it's like Disney doesn't have the ability to grab those and just put them on Disney+. Plus. So I don't, okay. yeah, I believe in that in the case of those two movies, it doesn't necessarily have to do with whether it's a male lead or a female lead. Mm. Again, it, it was just an, an observation that I had. I'm not trying to imply anything. But. Well, it's not necessarily out of the realm of possibility because even Disney's initial public statement in reaction to the Scarlett Johansson lawsuit was a little bit off-putting, I think, mm-hmm. for a lot of people to you know, it, say that it was callous of her uh, in the face of the pandemic, which it, it's, it doesn't necessarily have to do – I mean – it can be interpreted that way where she's just being selfish and money grubbing and but it's also just about setting a, a precedent and breach of mm-hmm. contract regardless of the of the circumstances but then they put out her salary which hadn't been public knowledge they just put it on blast saying we already paid you 20 million dollars you greedy so and so and i guess the president of sag put out a statement saying that calling them sexist and misogynist for their reaction they wouldn't have said what they said if it were a man doing the same thing sure so just to put it on yeah just to to reiter to reiterate what you're saying there could be that perception but i do i don't know i i don't know like what other movies that they may have may have on the back burner or Mm -hmm. if it just was circumstance it sounds like circumstance but yeah, I mean, again, I don't want to just be slinging accusations with nothing to back it up, but it was just something I noticed and found interesting. But it could it could just be the, the biggest coincidence in Disney history. <laughs> well, what's not coincident? What isn't coincidence is their public statement, which has seemed a little bit it was personal. Harsh. You know, mm. and instead of being like, "Well, we're a big company, and we don't really need to respond to this in a public way." We can let our lawyers yeah. deal with this. I don't know why they felt like they needed to to respond in such a personal and explicit way to yeah. a lawsuit. They could have just let it play out in the courts and yeah, issued exactly. a very vanilla uh, statement saying, "Hey, we don't believe we were in breach of contract," and that would have been that could have been the end of it. So it was mm-hmm. that's kind of weird. I guess the one person out of the entire thing that I've not heard um, outside of a. a one of those clickbaity headlines uh, has not responded, or at least I don't recall or haven't heard a response, is Kevin Feige, who is like the, he is the head of Marvel. He's like the Marvel guy. And I think the article that I saw was just like, he's he's so upset and he's fuming mad or whatever. And I was like, uh, I'll just assume that's what you've heard but whether or not that's true he seems and i I don't know the guy personally he seems like he would be uh a little bothered by this but at the same time he also seems like the kind of guy that would want to make sure that this is not something that would have happened in the first place he's mad at whom i guess her that's that's the way that the article that's why i didn't read it because the headline was just he's so mad at scarlett johansson but I don't know if he is, you know, and I'm not saying he he's not upset or bothered by this. I don't know. But 
at the same time, I feel like he would have been the guy that didn't want to lose her, didn't want to push her away and be like, look, what can we do? I'll, you know, whatever it takes, I'll, I'll fix it and we can get you back in here because he seems like he's trying to keep this family together, you know, so you can bring these people back in when you want them and you want them to play with your toys again and stuff like that. And I just, I feel like I would, if I was him in that, you know, trying to build this, this perfect little structure of a house, you would do everything in your power to keep it stable no matter what. Even if the characters are dead or whatever, if you ever wanted to use them for whatever reason, she's there. And you want to have that good working relationship. So I don't know how true that is. I just, he could be a dick. I don't know. <laughs> so, but it just, it seemed odd to me and an odd little statement, but I haven't heard anything from him. So I don't know. So it's, it's, it's upsetting because we haven't heard of stories like this coming out of Marvel, at least since maybe back the original Iron Man Iron Man 2, and they were playing behind-the-scenes stuff. I think there was a guy there by the name of Ike Perlmutter who was a real frugal, penny-pincher guy, and every idea they had was like, no, no. And in fact, it wasn't until he stepped aside that they were actually able to make Captain Marvel and other you know, female-led hero movies because he's like, women don't sell tickets. So that kind of tells you what kind of guy he is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And hey, he's been seen in pictures with Donald Trump. So, ta-da. No, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's a, it's a shame um, that this is happening. I hope that something positive will come out of it. Like you have also been saying, I hope it sets a precedent for people going forward because I think this is some, something that actors, producers, directors, they're going to have to start thinking about long term because these studios are forming these streaming sites now and they're starting to see the value in it and with exception of maybe sony every studio has a platform you know i think they are really the only studio left that doesn't have their own solo platform which maybe they don't have enough (laughs) ip to really back up a full platform you'd think they would but they seem content you know, making deals. I heard they cut a deal with uh, Disney. They cut a deal with Netflix. They're doing their own thing, and I, there's nothing wrong with that. But everybody's banking. All these studios are now banking on these streaming platforms, and they found, or at least they had had found a loophole around paying extra and still raking in their money. So if you've got what twenty thousand subscribers at ten bucks a pop. You're you're banking every month, so. Well, they're gonna, like everything is in flux. Not only are theaters and studios having to renegotiate windows and and all that kind of stuff, but actors and other above the line people are, are going to have to, like you said, renegotiate with the studios about how they're gonna change their contracts, right? Like what. And also, I think that the streaming platforms are going to have to figure out how to um, quantify the numbers because uh, up till this point, they've been very selective and vague about about the numbers. You know, like mm-hmm. they can't quantify like it's not like the Nielsen ratings where you know how many people t- tuned into whatever show during whatever time. That's going to have to be figured out where – you know, ticket sales, they can say a percentage of ticket sales is going to go to X, Y, and Z actor for this movie. 
but how are they going to quantify a percentage of streams or whatever? So they're going to have to come up with a new way to figure out how actors, if if this is going to be a thing going forward, if actors are going to get something on the back end or if they're just going to get more money on the front end or something. Mm-hmm. Like there's just a whole lot of things that are going to have to be figured out and renegotiated going forward. And this is just the first the first step in that process, I guess. The the thing I, that I've always been fascinated with that you brought up was the fact that we never get streaming numbers. And I've I've yet to understand why that is. Like, what is it that they're afraid to tell us about? Because, like you said, they're very selective. The, if if something was the big hit on Netflix, it's like, look, number one, oh, so many X amount of people will watch this thing. But if it seems like if it doesn't hit a certain number, they don't want to be bothered with. They don't want to talk about it. So we assume that everything was watched or that it was taken okay. It could have been even well-reviewed, but... We never hear, you know, X amount of people watch this on Netflix this weekend. You know, this is number one movie on the platform. Even though, I mean, I think they actually do, which, again, is a, an odd thing. It's almost like they're trying to give you numbers without giving you numbers. They'll, they'll have their top ten list. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen that on Netflix, which I guess we're to assume these are the most watched things on the platform based on their streaming numbers, I guess. Yeah. So we just have to take them at their word, and I guess that's supposed to make us go, okay, well, if everyone's watching that, I should watch that because that's the number one thing everyone's watching right now. So maybe that works as a, as a way of, of manipulating people into watching stuff, but it would be fascinating to know how many people watch the thing, especially when it comes to something like Black Widow. How many people actually paid the $30 for Premier Access? I want to know. Because if you can couple that together with your ticket sales, would that have been equal to, say, what would have been like a big opening weekend for that movie? So would it have made $90 million or $100 million in its first weekend? That premiere access seems like a really cut and dry kind of thing where you could put out the numbers. Where Disney could have said, well, based on the number of people that uh, paid the premium access to watch Black Widow, we'll cut you in this amount. Because that, yeah. that's something that you can measure, you can verify, you can see that. This many people paid to watch this movie because it's a, it's mm-hmm. a you pay for that movie, right? It's not like, but the subscription service at large, you don't really know. People pay the subscription to watch whatever's on the platform, and yeah. you can't necessarily, you can't, you can't uh, correlate whether or not someone subscribed to the platform to watch a particular movie. Only that they mm-hmm. subscribe to the platform and happen to watch that movie. So in yeah, in Disney's case, it would have been easy for them to go back and, and negotiate with whomever, Scarlett Johansson, and say, well, this is what we're going to do here. And of course, it's going to cut into box office, but understandably so, given the circumstances. And we can cut you in just like we would have cut you in with the box with the ticket sales because we have, we can verify this many people paid 30 bucks to watch the movie at home. Mm. So that would have been easy. And you, and you think about it too. The percentage of that would be no different than what the theater would get yeah. as, as a cut. So at 30 bucks, you're already saying for a good number of people, you're already making more than you would at the theater. Because if theaters are only charging 10 bucks a pop for a ticket, ballpark, um, could change in your area. I know that for a fact. Uh, I mean, that's already $20 more that 
you could possibly be making well, the, on an Well, the, there's, it doesn't necessarily – it's not necessarily one-to-one because a whole family could have paid 30 bucks and watched – True. As opposed to each individual person having to buy a ticket to get into the theater. But mm. generally, I mean, it's probably a wash more or less. Yeah. So why not just cut them in? You know, just whatever – say that that's your trade-off. Yeah. So for everything there – Which is why I believe her suit potentially has merit. I don't know all the – all the particulars and everything that was signed and or verbally agreed to or whatever, but it seems mm-hmm. like it has merit just based on that fact that that's like if if they had just if they just put it on the streaming service as just part of the subscription fee, then there's a, that gray area that we're talking about where you don't you don't know how many people watched it and you therefore you can't quantify how much you now owe the actor. But since they mm-hmm. did, it was part of that subscription plus model where you had to pay for that movie. Then it seems like. They should have just renegotiated with her and said, okay, we'll give you a percentage of this. Yeah, exactly. Because think about that, too, for all of our listeners, if you do or do not know. I mean, theaters, why do you think you pay $5 for your popcorn or your soda or whatever? Because this is how they make money. They're probably getting chump change out of the tickets by comparison. You know, the studios are not raking in $102 million or $100 million to $200 million every week for a movie just based on ticket sales i mean they're not getting that 100 200 million dollars they're getting what a percent if that yeah maybe so they have to make up their money that's why they're struggling that's why their ticket prices and concession prices are going up because they're trying to survive yeah well it's and also part of the the overall decline and and even before the pandemic and before mm-hmm. streaming it was still a decline in in movie going and therefore, yeah. ticket and concession prices go up in order to make up for the lack of people in the theaters. But and also, we yeah. I think we we talked about this early on in the podcast where now theaters instead of having two hundred closely or maybe two or three hundred closely packed seats now have fifty <laughs> recliners. Yeah, because there's just fewer people going. So now there's mm-hmm. more. And I know that um, when I was reading about the. I think it was the AMC or the re- – I can't remember who cut that deal this week. It was one of the two. I read about them both. But they were talking about having to raise their ticket prices and concessions, and they even mentioned that they would probably have to cut back screenings just to cut down on how long staff's going to be there so they don't have to pay them as long. Right. So that's another cost-cutting measure they're having to do. And, I mean, if people can watch their movies on streaming, then why would you be open as late? Why would you have the midnight shows and things like that? Some people like them, I get it, but I get where the theater's coming from too. You've got to find a way to to shave off whatever cost you can to maintain it in hopes that you're going to make it through this because now I'm not sure. Like I, I, I don't want to think this is going to be the end of it all, but it's starting to get a little dicey again with everything kind of yo-yoing back to where we were so it's something we'll keep our eye on that's for sure you got anything else to say about uh this lawsuit no anything related i think well i think we got it well if not then uh thank you to everyone listening if you got a topic you want us to talk about you can hit us up on twitter at our uh at our twitter handles (laughs) whatever they are they're in there. We tag each other. You see it. Uh, and you can hashtag Cinema Salsa. Hopefully we'll find it on there. And you can tell all your friends if they want to find and listen to great cinema talk. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Podbean, even YouTube.com slash Productions if you prefer. 
but join us again next week. Until then, keep supporting your local theaters. This has been a Pencil and Paper Podcast Network production.